1: To the Vineyard. So good to worship together. I think most of you in Urbana know we have family that join us every week in Sullivan and Bloomington and online, so will you just give them a warm welcome, too? So, yeah. Well, I'm honored to begin a new message series called Clean Living, Sustainable Spirituality. What does that mean? Well, let's find out. Father, we're so grateful. We're not left to our own brains or our own intellect. We're grateful for your Holy Spirit to come and teach us. Holy Spirit, open our hearts and our minds. Open the word. I pray that you magnify Jesus today, that we leave here loving him more, believing and trusting in him. And we're just grateful. We're grateful we do this as a family. We're grateful for your presence here. And we welcome you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this week there was a short article in the News Gazette, which is a local newspaper, about a woman named Ruby Meeker. There she is. And it says, happy birthday. And she had quite a happy birthday because she turned 105 years old. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Well... They interviewed her, and they said, what is your secret to such a long life? And I quote, I behaved. I didn't go out and do bad stuff. I lived a clean life. I never drank or smoked. I worked hard all my life. That's her secret, to a clean life, right, a long life. She never did bad stuff, she didn't have bad habits. And I would say that would probably be a similar response that my parents and grandparents would have had to this uh, question. You know, what is clean, a clean life? And, you know, no bad habits, didn't do bad stuff, you know, good moral choices. My parents would also add, like, no TV, no dancing, no card playing. <laughs> but be that as it may, the dictionary.com actually says for clean living, conducting one's life so as to be beyond moral reproach with synonyms like wholesome, honest, righteous, chaste. Now, if you would ask a Hebrew Israelite back under the Old Covenant, they would have a little bit different answer because do you know that all throughout the Old Covenant, there is a lot said about what is clean and what is unclean. So if you asked an Israelite, what's a clean life? They'd say, well, that means I don't eat pigs or rabbits, I don't touch dead bodies, and I don't touch live lepers, I don't cheat my neighbor, I offer goat's blood to cover my sin, and I don't have sex during my menstrual period. That's a definition of a clean life. Well, you can read it for yourself in Leviticus. Okay, so clean living is pretty important, has been, and it continues to be a really hot topic, although you have to agree that in the 21st century, it has a little bit different uh, connotation, right? I mean, you take George Clooney, very famous actor. He says this, he believes in clean living. He was the first celebrity to switch his BMW to a cleaner option. He drives a Tango, an electric, eco-friendly car. Way to go, George. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, many famous and very ordinary people like all of us, we actually do care about clean living, don't we? We care about the environment. We care about land and air and water. We care about the food we eat, whether it has you know, chemicals, if it's you know, organic. We care about the products we buy, if they have toxins. So it's, it's very popular uh, today and very good. To care about clean living, and I thought it was interesting that uh, most of that aligns with the Urban Dictionary. Now, when I shared with my team the Urban Dictionary uh, definition, they went, "Die, you can't quote from the Urban Dictionary." I went, "Oh, why not?" They go, "Die." All the college kids are laughing. It's off <laughs> color. It's like, "Oh, well, hey, this definition was okay." The Urban Dictionary definition of clean living: the opposite of dirty living. Oh, well, that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> then it went on and said, a lifestyle choice meaning nothing bad goes in, on, or around you. And then it gave a sentence, which I liked. Happy was about to drink a diet soda, but remembered it wouldn't be clean living. Now, actually, it said Dave. But I inserted my husband's name there because I'm so proud of him. He has basically given up Diet Coke for... Not necessarily clean living, but he's given it up. I'm really proud because we used to go to a restaurant. I hadn't even picked up the menu, and he'd already drunk. I'm not kidding you, four Diet Cokes. Yeah, my children can testify to this. But all that, what do we mean when we say clean living in this message series? Well, actually, it can mean all of the above. Moral choices, environmental choices, health choices, because all of it is important for what? A sustainable life, or I say, a sustainable spirituality. Now, don't think that just means, oh, a sustainable like life with God. It includes that. But we are a spirit being. You see, all of our life is important. Every part of it. Our health, our relationships, our environment, our connection with God. And we want to have a sustainable spirituality. We want one that endures and not just gets by. But I want a healthy life, right? I want a clean, joyful, free life. And I think most of you do too. So we're looking at, okay, clean living, a sustainable spirituality. Well, all of the clean living emphasis that I just mentioned have one thing in common. And this one thing empowers us to make wise choices in all of these areas. What is that one thing? We all have a conscience. Don't look at me like, huh? That's still, it's mentioned 30 times in the Bible. (laughs) So it's important. We all have a conscience. Yes. You know, your conscience is involved. Like, say on your way here, you're driving. You're coming down Lincoln. Don't you hate it now? It's 25 miles an hour. It's like, hey, I'm going to go 30, I don't see any place. Oops, conscience tells you, don't do that, Die, You know, or on I-74, 70, yeah, no, 75, I can do that. Or more seriously, your conscience tells you, eh, what about cheating on that math test? Or lying to your spouse? Or maybe your conscience is involved when you uh, decide not to eat meat or to recycle products. I'll give you an example just from my own life. Back in the 90s, I was raising, at that time, four of our children were teenagers, and their favorite store was Abercrombie & Fitch. And everybody had jeans from there, and so their catalog came, and I picked it up, started looking through it, and I went, no. Like, this is pornographic. I mean, it wasn't really, but it was like scantily clad teenagers, and my conscience said, you will not Number one, step foot in that store again, and you will not give another dime to that store. And so I announced that to my children, who were not happy, but I think they abided by it. I'll find out after they listen to this message. But (laughs) this this is the the interesting thing. I mean, Abercrombie & Fitch did go out of business at Champagne Mall. I mean, I'm not saying it was due to my boycott, but (laughs) this is the interesting thing. Why didn't I have any trouble going down to the Gap in buying a sweater that was manufactured by oppressed workers in Southeast Asia. Because, you see, my conscience was trained differently for different areas. It's, it's not so cut and dried, okay? It, it functions differently. It, it actually, do you know your conscience can be crushed? Your conscience can be seared? You can ignore your conscience. It can be wounded. It can be weak. That's why we want to take four weeks and look. Wow, how does the conscience function? And what does it have to do with living a clean life? It's really important. Because I don't know about you, but I do not want to live under a burden of guilt and shame and condemnation and, you know, hiding things. I I don't want... I don't want that. And I think many, many of us have done that. You know, particularly those in the church live with a lot of guilt and condemnation. And Jesus paid a really high price for us to have a clear, clean conscience. And we want to find out how to have that on a daily basis. You know, if you violate your conscience, and we can do that, I've done it, you just continually ignore, even though you know, like, oh, what I'm doing, that's not quite right you continually ignore it, you're setting yourself up for depression. You're setting yourself up for an emotional and mental breakdown. You see, the conscience is really, really important. What is it exactly? Well, it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God. I defined it this way. The conscience is each person's God-given capacity to be aware Conscious of what one believes is right and wrong. So this is a God-given capacity. This is a gift. God wants us to live a life of joy and peace, clean living. And it's so amazing when we as an entire church family learn to operate with a clean conscience, we actually stop judging people. See, there's a lot of areas of freedom when it comes to conscience. I happen to like my steak, but I'm not judging you if you only eat vegetables or, you know, uh, protein, beans, or whatever, yeah, no. Now, there's other areas we don't have freedom, and we're going to talk about that too because it's very clear. But it is the God's given capacity to be aware or conscious of what is right or what is wrong. Everyone has a conscience, whether you know God or not, or have ever heard of God, ever have any kind of uh, connection to God, everyone has a conscience. Why is that? Because everyone is made in the image of God. Every human being is made in the image of God, and our God is a moral God. He, He determines right and wrong and good and evil, and in the same way, we are moral people. So our personhood, say, as opposed to animals who don't have a conscience, That reveals, absolutely, we have a conscience. We can know right or wrong. Now, it's really important to know, again, even if you don't have the word of God or even know God, I think it's important Paul points out in his letter to the Romans that you still have a conscience. And in Romans chapter 2, he talks about the Gentiles who did not know God until they heard the gospel, but they had no mosaic law. They didn't have a, you know, an Old Testament. And, And Paul says it doesn't matter because when you don't know that, it doesn't matter. If you commit sin, it is present in your conscience, like you know it. And when you behave or you make the right choice in the same way, that also is present in your conscience. He says it this way, Romans 2, verse 15, I'm reading out of the Passion. It demonstrates that the requirements of the law are woven into their hearts. They know what is right and wrong, for their conscience validates this law in their heart. Their thoughts correct them in one instance and commend them in another. And that is precisely how a conscience is designed to function. It's designed to correct us, tell us, hey, don't do that, that's wrong. Or commend us, hey, way to go, that's right. Uh, Sometimes the words used there, depending on the translations, are the conscience accuses us, like don't, or excuses us. Okay, go ahead. So the conscience has this amazing function of showing us what is right and what is wrong. Now... Again, like I said, the conscience can be violated, crushed, ignored, seared. So it's going to need some help, right? Because it's gotten damaged through sin. Some of it is just the way that we were brought up and the things that we were taught were right or wrong, which may or may not be true. Um, if you, even though you don't have an outside source, religion, the Bible, we do know right from wrong. Again, my neighbor... Uh, he's not my neighbor anymore, but the man who lived across the street, he was an agnostic, and we had good conversations, but one day he backed out of his driveway, and he bumped into our car, and he dented it. We didn't see it. You know, he could have driven on. But his conscience told him to knock on our door and let us know. And he knew that was the right thing to do. I mean, how many of you have been in a parking lot, backing up and, oops, little dent there, car next to you? Come on, did you stop? Did you put a note on the windshield? Isn't that what your conscience told you to do? (laughs) Or did you kind of, oh, well, that doesn't matter. I don't think it hurt, and you drove off. You got to listen to our conscience, right? (laughs) Now, with that, it's not so serious, but it does get more complicated because some people, what they believe to be right and wrong is not necessarily the same as what is actually right and wrong, particularly in our culture, and it's getting very complicated. And of course, most of us are very aware of what has been happening, what has happened in New York and now in Virginia concerning the abortion legislation. And what is interesting here is the people who have contended for this legislation that a woman is able to actually terminate, but I wanna say it this way, kill her baby at full term, they actually think it's right they, they frame it as a civil rights issue. It's the woman's right. It is the right thing to do to give her the permission to kill her child. And yet, of course, we would stand and say that is totally wrong. Now, if you've had an abortion, hear me say, don't hear me say that we are condemning you, judging you. Like No, no, no. Actually, okay, we as pastors we refuse to be political because guess what on our staff we have Democrats we have Republicans we have indiv- we're not political this isn't a political issue folks this is an issue whereby we have chosen to be prophetic and by prophetic I mean we're gonna proclaim the truth we're gonna proclaim God's truth that abortion is actually killing babies And that is wrong. But we get to say to the person who might be considering that, who has done that, we don't come to you with condemnation. Actually, the good news is God has already forgiven you. He has redeemed you. He wants to heal you. He has hope for you. And so that's the message. See, that's prophetic. That's a word of encouragement. That's not a word of condemnation. And again, this isn't a political issue. I will love this week what uh, Rich Nathan, the pastor of the Columbus, Ohio Vineyard, posted, 10 Reasons I Oppose abortions. very well written. He's a former attorney. He does an outstanding job. We're going to post that on our social media. But he prefaced his article with these words. (coughs) Excuse me. He says, I write this post as a pastor appealing to people's consciences. Well, What moral standard should we base our conscience on? Well, most of us here today would say, obviously, the Bible, God's Word. But, you know, that can get confused because it can get enmeshed with church tradition, right? So I was raised in a church that said, no dancing, no TV, no card playing, no makeup. And so that's how my conscience was trained, that when I participated in those or wanted to, that was wrong and I felt guilty. But that, there's no scripture in the Bible that says that is wrong. And so church tradition can, you know, get enmeshed with the Bible. I think probably the most historic, famous example of that is none other than Martin Luther, obviously the founder of the Lutheran denomination. But he tells, I mean, it's documented in history that You know, the Roman Catholic Church threatened him with death and then obviously excommunicated him because he refused to recant what he had written in his writings. He said, I refuse to go against my conscience. I don't accept the authority of the church tradition of popes and consuls when it's in conflict with the word of God. And his most famous quote is none other than this, Martin Luther. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Wow. Whether that meant death or imprisonment for him. So, conscience is important. I don't know how many of you were raised with your parents, I'm really dating myself, saying, now let your conscience be your guide. Right, anybody? Okay, let your conscience be your guide. Well, I mean, that's a very famous quote from none other than Jiminy Cricket. So let's hear it from the source.
0: Sit down, son. Now, you see, the world is full of temptations. Temptations? Yep, temptations. They're the wrong things that seem right at the time. But uh, even though the right things may seem wrong sometimes, uh, sometimes the the wrong things (laughs) may be right at the wrong time, or uh, vice versa. Understand? Uh-uh. But I'm gonna do right. Add a boy, Pinocchio, and I'm gonna help you. And anytime you need me, you know, just whistle like this. Like this? <sighs> no, no. Try it again, Pinocchio. Like this? <sighs> no, son. Now listen. That's it? Come on now, let's sing it. When you get in trouble and you don't know right from wrong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. When you meet temptation and the urge is very strong, give a little whistle, give a little whistle. Not just a little squeak, pucker up and blow. And if your whistle's weak, yell. Cricket? Right. Take the straight and narrow path, and if you start to slide, give a little whistle. Give a little whistle. And always let your conscience be your guide.
1: And always let your conscience be your guide. Great movie. <laughs> yes, always let your conscience be your guide. But you know, we have someone far better than Jiminy Cricket and a whistle when it comes to our conscience, right? For determining right and wrong. We have God himself, his very own Holy Spirit, (laughs) the uh, Holy Spirit, God himself living inside of us. He is the spirit of truth. He shows us right from wrong, good from evil. He not only shows us that and teaches us that, he empowers us to choose to live that way. And that's just as important. You know, we don't have to just give a little whistle, right? No, we have the Holy Spirit. And it's such an amazing gift from God that we are empowered to know right from wrong and to choose to have a clear, clean conscience. Well, how do you receive a clean conscience? Because my sense is, you know, a lot of us are still living with a conscience that's bothering us or it's been violated. Interestingly, again, although God has given us, all of us, a conscience, all of our consciences have been damaged. Uh, They've been damaged through bad teaching. They've been damaged through our own actions, our bad choices. They've been hardened through sin. They need to be thoroughly cleansed in order for us to live a clean life with a clean conscience. So it starts, though, with receiving a clean heart. Now listen up. This is Jesus now. He's teaching. This is in Mark chapter 7. And he's having all of these confrontations with the religious leaders. Because guess what? Jesus is doing all these unclean things. He's touching lepers. He's letting women with issues of blood touch him. He's like eating the wrong foods. He's not washing his hands like he's supposed to. And they're like, look at this. He's violating all the clean and the unclean laws. And Jesus says to them, okay, whoa, 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 guess what? (laughs) It's not the food you eat that makes you unclean. Actually, it's not the hands that you wash. That's not what pollutes you. As a matter of fact, it's what's going on inside. Words and deeds pollute a person, not food. It's what's in the heart. And this is how he detailed it in Mark 7. He says, Evil originates from inside a person. Coming out of a human heart are evil schemes, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, wickedness, treachery, debauchery, jealousy, slander, arrogance, and recklessness. Whoa. All these corrupt things emerge from within and constantly pollute a person or make us dirty. Wow, that's bad news. I'm sure all of us can find something there. (laughs) That's why we need the good news. The good news that was prophesied all throughout the Old Covenant. Here's Ezekiel speaking for God. God said, I will sprinkle clean water on you. You shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, a new spirit I will put within you. Yes. And most of us here recognize that as when we said yes to Jesus, no to sin, yes to Jesus, received that brand new heart, we were born again. Then why do I still feel dirty? Why do I keep making unclean choices? Well, there's a lot of reasons that I'm going to give you the one I think is the most important and the one that was most powerful in my own life. You see, often, after Christians have been born again, received a new heart, we either go on living, but most of us go on believing we actually still have a dirty heart. You know, we have a new nature and we have a sinful nature. We have a pit bull and we have a poodle. They're inside of us. They're fighting. You don't know who's going to win. You have an angel on one shoulder. You have a demon on the other. You have a wicked heart. You better go about getting it cleaned up. I'm sorry to say I used to teach this. I'm telling you, that makes for a crazy Christian. That makes for a guilty, condemned, shame-filled Christian. And I'm here to tell you, it totally negates The power of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Now, if I go over to Carl Hospital and I need a heart transplant, and I've got a diseased, dirty heart in here, and he goes and he puts the new heart in, is he going to leave the old, dirty one in there? I'd be dead. Now, am I going to have to learn to live differently? Absolutely. Eat differently, exercise differently. Yes, you have to learn to live with a brand new clean heart. But the truth is, until you believe, you actually have been made new. You've been made clean. You actually have the righteousness of God in Christ. You have a new identity. You're no longer a sinner. You are a saint. You will continue to battle a very, very condemning, accusing conscience. We're going to look at that. I'm so grateful that in about 2010, 11, the Holy Spirit breathed on our church and he unleashed a revival of righteousness. And he unleashed the power of the Spirit to bring us the truth that we are clean and we are holy by the blood of Jesus. Our conscience can be clean every day, 100%. Let me show you from the Word of God. It's a journey. It takes time to fully embrace this. We're so used to embracing, you know, the crazy Christian of, you know, one day I'm good, one day I'm bad. I gotta clean up my my dirty heart. I gotta do some more inner healing. I gotta do some more whatever to fix myself. Hebrews, chapter 8, 9, and 10, fabulous chapters. We don't have time to go through them today. Only a couple verses. But the writer of the Hebrews, which we think most people think it uh, uh, is Paul, but uh, he makes it very, very clear. How do we receive a clean heart? How do we receive a clean conscience? On what basis? So listen up. He says here, The old system of living under the law with its steady stream of sacrifices offered year after year, there still was nothing that could make our hearts perfect and clean. That was the shed blood of animals. None of it. If animal sacrifices could once and for all eliminate sin, they would have ceased to be offered. The worshipers would have a clean conscience. Instead, once was not enough. Repetitive sacrifices, year after year, Worshippers were continually reminded of their sins, that their hearts were impure, unclean. Their consciences accused them. For what power does the blood of bull and goats have to remove sin's guilt? So, when Jesus the Messiah came into the world, he said, God, I'll be the one. I'll be the one sacrifice that removes sin removes sin, not covers sin. Yes, through the sacrifice of the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus, we have been made pure, clean, holy once and for all. Hebrews 10:14. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. Let that sink in. For all time. And he goes on to say through the Holy Spirit under the new covenant now I will embed my laws into their hearts. I'll fasten my word to their thoughts and I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. This is a miracle. This is amazing. Lord wow You fasten your word to my mind and my heart. Your Holy Spirit lives inside of me to remind me and empower me. You you don't remember. You don't remember past, present, future sins ever. Why do we? Now, it's interesting to me, this is the definition of grace. This is grace. (laughs) It's all God. But as we have preached this over the past few years, it's interesting to me, the, the take that people take on it. It's like, oh, yeah, all my sins are forgiven now. Past, present, future, all forgiven. Yes. I guess I'll just go out and have a good time. (laughs) And some of us do. Like, we're tempted to sin, and we're like, oh, well, all my sins are forgiven. Right? All my sins are forgiven. Wow. I mean, in addition to really grieving God, I want you to know, This amazing message is not a go and sin all you want card. It's a go and sin no more. That's right. Am I saying I'll never sin again? No, but I'm saying I have a clean heart, I have a clean conscience. I want to live by the power of the Holy Spirit and all that Jesus' blood paid for me. That's right. And now he goes on in Hebrews, he said, We're brothers and sisters in God's family because of the blood of Jesus. We can now come so boldly into his holy sanctuary with no hesitation. Why? Because the veil was torn in two just as Jesus' body was torn open to give us free, fresh access to him, a magnificent king priest who welcomes us into God's presence and we come closer to God. We approach him with an open heart, fully convinced by faith that nothing will keep us at a distance from him, for our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity. We have been freed from an accusing conscience. Wow. And now we are clean, unstained, presentable to God inside and out. That's clean living. (laughs) But it starts by being fully convinced by faith not in your own self in jesus and what his shed blood and broken body has actually accomplished that you have a clean heart and only one heart not two one clean heart a clear clean conscience we can be intimate with him we can know he loves us he accepts us he's there to help us he wants us to live without condemnation and guilt and shame He wants us to live with power over sin. He's paid a pretty big price for that to happen. I want to encourage you to come all three weeks to hear, how do do we embrace clean living? How do we live each day with a clean conscience? How can we be partakers of the divine nature that His blood and broken body made possible for us? I, for one, want to continue on this journey Fully, fully convinced by faith that Jesus has made me clean inside and out. Father, I thank you. It's amazing. It's, it's stunning. And I thank you for it. And I thank you that you've even given us now ways to celebrate that and worship and just engage with your Holy Spirit as this truth takes hold of our life and sets us free. In Jesus' name,
0: amen. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teachings.